There are improvement works ahead, so this train will terminate at the next station. Take you, sir. Take you. Okay, now we're all. It's been a long time since I've been on the yeah. podcast. No, look, I'm actually glad because you came. Yeah, you actually came and saw it in um in hunting in Moorabbin. Correct. You know what I mean? And that yeah. was like the first semi almost mm. professional sort of setup. 2019. 2019. Yeah, it was 2019, wasn't and it? I moved in in uh, it was like Mayish yeah. June. Yeah, and you were one of the first guests that I had in there once I moved. And we covered um. What we talk- you were talking about um a lot of different topics. Actually, incidentally, I think you did. <laughs> ironically, I think not ironically. Coincidentally, I think we did discuss the Middle East at some point as well. I think we did. I think we discussed the Syrian conflict. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah, we did. We discussed the Syrian uh, two, conflict two and what years to do later, and what to do about it. Two years later, yeah. we're back at the same uh, same thing, like knocking on the door. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, and especially after the year that we've just had with the fucking pandemic. I actually love your tat, like poking out of your t-shirt. Ah, thank you. Now, I've always said it, dude, your, the placement of your tats, the one time, the first time I actually appreciated it was yeah. when we went for dinner on, um, like, near Gibbs, like, near your, near your house. It was at that Mexican joint. We're having tacos and- Jesus. Is that what it's called? Hotel Jesus. Yeah. Is it actually called Jesus? Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah. Yeah. There was the one, um, yeah, there was the one time you were wearing, like, a singlet. It was the first time I'd seen all your ink come yeah. together. And I said, this is the- Perfect placement. Symmetrical. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Well thought out. You know what's interesting? What's that? You know, in Australia, it's actually illegal to name your son Jesus? I didn't know that. I only found out. It wasn't... When did I find out? I can't remember where I was. Someone told me, and it was an industry professional, like, that would have known, like, that sort of fact. I can't remember who it was. And I said, but hang on. What if you're Hispanic or Latino? Yeah. Like, Jesus is the most standard name. I said, no. If it's spelt... J-E-S-U-S. It's illegal in this country. Name your son. Hey, Just you. this country? I think so. so. I can't remember. It's a fact. I'll check it out. It's very strange. Yeah. Well, you can call a kid Muhammad here. But that's what, that's what I said. I said, well, what yeah. about the name Muhammad? There's okay, the, that's, the, that's, the other prophet. That's equally as, you know, uh, the grandeur behind it. Well, it is. I mean, they're an equivalence in terms of being poster boys, aren't they, for the religion? <laughs> so I don't understand why you can't call your child Jesus, but you can call your child Mo or Muhammad. <laughs> You're but, the one freak that calls him Mo. I call him Mo. Yeah, I know, but it's funny. It, it is funny because I, I remember I got into an argument once with someone on Twitter. Yeah. We were debating Islam and no, some, someone rather from somewhere, somewhere in the world. And he said to me, show some respect. His name is not Mo. It's <laughs> Muhammad. He's not your mate from down the street. <laughs> that reminds me of when I was in Greek school and some kid wrote um, yeah. Christos with a tono on the eye. So it was Christos? Ah, uh, yes, yes. In a Christos, in a Christos. Christos, bravo. But you put the turn on. <laughs> it was just... But, like, dude, think about how, like, passe that is. Like, the t- a tiny apostrophe yeah. above a vowel is enough to set, like, a middle-aged Greek man off. Absolutely. Because it's incorrect. I would have been, dude, I'll, be, I'll tell you, yeah. I can probably narrow down how... The teacher we had, our grade six teacher was Kiria Yanni. So then Kiria Anna. So I was probably grade four... Yeah, I, like, I don't want to speak out loud. Could we grade four, grade five? So I would have been like 10, 11 years old. And like the teacher lost his shit. 
because someone used the word Christos instead of Christos. Nevertheless, um, thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. Now, the reason why I brought you in and I explained this to you yeah. is because people started asking me about the, um, the current conflict with Hamas and Israel, and yeah. I don't have all the facts. I, I don't. I know a bit about it. It's, it's, a big, it's a big topic. There's a lot of information. Yeah, yeah. I know a bit about yeah. it, but I know that you know a lot about it, Yeah, and I want you to explain basically how it began. All right, I know you're gonna have, you have your own opinion, which is fine. But this is <laughs> what are you no, like? No, no. You yeah. look. You ha- we're not discussing. We're not discussing. Um, we're not. The- okay, this is the thing. Yeah, you can give me your opinion. All right, it's not about that. No, I won't. But what- yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I know that you have the ability to remove yourself from emotional bias. Well, I've got no emotional attachment to this. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You have no emotional attachment no. to this. Okay, so when it calls for something to be clinically assessed, yeah. You possess, you have the integrity to give a clinical assessment. Look, I'm, <laughs> I'm enthusiastic about it, but I'm not emotionally attached to it. You know, I enjoy it. It's, it's a great topic. And we're going to try to cover as much as we can because we have to. But, you know, we, we'll, try, we'll do our best because there's, there's a lot to go through. I know. That's why yeah. I, I trust you. I can't, I can't debate on fact other than fact-checking stuff. But I, that's the thing. I know you've done your homework. So you're one of... The, you're one of the few people I, I trust the opinion of, or mm. not even opinion, just fact of, yeah. rhetoric of, without having to do the back hours. Like, there'll be some of, some of my opinions in here, but they'll be backed up, you know, by know, historical accounts or some evidence. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, like I said, a lot of people have asked me about this. I'm yeah. curious about it. I haven't had that much. Like, I know the. What are people asking you about exactly? Just what are they saying? Why? As in, where do they stem from? Or like, you know, they could be pro yeah. you know, uh, Israel or pro Hamas. Or maybe not even that, just anti-Muslim or anti-Arab, you know, or anti-Zion, you know. And they, they can't differentiate the groups. They don't understand the difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing we need to um, – actually, no, the first thing that we need to talk about or mention is a lot of people don't realize that to be Jewish is an ethnic ancestry. Yeah. It's DNA. Uh, people think that it's a mere religion, and there's a lot of conflation there. Because what you have to understand is there is a, the religious component is Judaism, yeah, which is a faith-based ideology and dogma. Yeah, that is it was exclusively attached or exclusively meant to be for the Jewish people, <laughs> and the Jewish people are a group of people that originate ancestrally from the Middle East. Yeah, and yeah. people don't understand that they start talking about this group of people like they're just a mere religious group as the the equivalent of Christians or Muslims, and it's not. It's not. It's not the same thing. I mean, it's in the sense of it's like um, it's a religion that's supposed to be attached to one ethnic ancestry, like Hinduism to Indians yeah. or Shinto to the Japanese. So that's the first thing that I think amazingly a lot of people don't understand. I don't know. Like I, st- I had a bit of an understanding on that sort of concept yeah. uh, just based on the fact that I've got a lot of Russian-Ukrainian mates and a lot of them are Jewish. You know what I mean? Like Russians are either mostly Orthodox, yeah, Russian Orthodox or Jews, depending on where they're from. Oh, they're they're not actually of Russian ancestry, but they're Jews that have immigrated exactly. there and they've been the there Jews for so have, long. They've lived in Russia yeah, for a hundred yeah, years, and they can speak Russian and they can speak yeah. Hebrew, but they're not Russian, not of Russian ancestry. They're Russian nationals. They might be Russian culturally to a point, but exactly. they're not of Russian ancestry. They're yeah. different. So I want to make it clear that you, neither you nor I have a dog in this race. It does not matter, as in outside of political interest and political um, concern. 
It's sure. Got, it's got nothing to do with well, like, who we want to win based on you know ethnicity or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, like uh, yeah, neither you nor I are Jewish or Rush or, or uh, Middle Eastern. Does who that make kn- sense? Well, who knows? <laughs> well, yeah, who does? Unless know? you check the ancestry, but no. But the point is that none of us are culturally. Yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't align yeah, with either of no, them. No, not at all. No, no, no. Okay, cool. All right, so <laughs> in fifty words or less, ah, fifty <laughs> no, no, words. In fifty words or less, honestly, no. how if you had to say where was the starting point of this whole conflict? Right, forget the first missile launched. Oh, we're going to go way back, son. Yeah, we're going yeah, go we we to go way back. Yeah, we're no, going no, yeah, we we to. Yeah, we, we, we must. Okay. We must. And the yeah. interesting thing is, I know that you and I have spoken about this before, and the one thing I did notice was, um, especially because of my, on my social media, I noticed a bunch of people, like random friends that I have, popping up. Yeah. Right? And for some reason, it's it's been funny, because a lot of the people that have been spreading the anti-COVID, anti-conspiracy like you know, conspiracy theory shit- Yeah. Uh. A lot of them are all pro-Palestine all of a sudden, spreading the same shit, talking about <laughs> ethnic cleansing, talking about, you know, blah, blah, blah. Nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, silliness. Yeah. Be that as it may, it's been funny watching them just switch. Well, you can see, I mean, people that are, say, pro-inverted coll- um, commas Palestine and join those interest groups yeah. are quite often all into the BLM organization mm. as well. And you can almost pinpoint what interest groups or topics they're going to align with or what side of the topics they're going yeah. to align with. It's a very predictable. That, that's what I, it's that's a very what, predictable train like that. It's a very predictable train. Maybe look. And like I said, I'm yeah. not the best sample group to be looking at, right? I don't have a thousand friends on Facebook. You know, I don't have yeah. a million followers on Twitter. I don't spend all day retweeting and, and reading bullshit or yeah. whatever. I don't. So I'm a really shitty sample group. It's just interesting for me to be looking at my social media feed and all no. of a sudden there's people that were like pro, you know, anti-government, anti-COVID restrictions, pro-conspiracy disappeared for a while because their freedoms were like brought back out. <laughs> yeah. And now because of this Palestinian issue, they're back on social media saying this is ethnic cleansing, this is this. I was like... Uh, ethnic cleansing, yeah. genocide... Uh, apart- <laughs> I could just. I wish apartheid, I was filming- apartheid as well. I mean, we'll, I wish we'll I was get to that. this just so people could see. you like your fr- like your brain is just yeah. It's because you're picturing every <laughs> every woke individual. You're picturing their yeah, faces. Yeah, the, the, the wokeists, the the arts kents, the yeah yeah, 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 exactly, or just people that um aren't informed and the misinformation. The actual yeah. genuine ignorance, or even in some cases perhaps the willful ignorance, yeah, is astounding. I think that's partly the reason why we have to talk about this. I was going to say, did you see the um, the Joe Rogan clip about woke culture? I think so. Okay, yeah, we'll come uh, back to it. Yeah, I do watch. Workers, I do watch a lot of yeah. uh, Rogan. I, I yeah. haven't watched anything. You know how we're all part of the algorithm, so YouTube will bump up whatever you've been watching and yeah. just give you more of the yeah. same sort of yeah. shit. For the last, it's been funny, man, because like. I've come almost full circle with what I started watching back at the start of COVID. Yeah. So, like, a lot of what culture videos just based on video games and movies and, and shit like that. They've just started popping up again. I don't, I don't know why. But for a good chunk, it was all, like, um, atheist videos and, like, you know, talking to theists and debunking theories and all that sort of crap. Yeah. But Joe Rogan was right in the cusp of, like, COVID, like, somewhere in the middle. So, I haven't seen a single Joe Rogan clip for about 
for actually four, five months. it's been a while. I haven't seen much of him yeah. either lately. But yeah, the one thing I see all of a sudden is him talking about workers. The, yeah, the workers thing, and you know, I've been watching a bit of Douglas Murray. Yeah, uh, old Christopher Hitchens, who he's yeah, no longer I was with us. Christopher Hitchens. He was, for he's ages. no longer with us, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of that during COVID too. Anyway, okay, now. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, if we had to pick a moment, if, if there was a starting point... Yeah. Okay, see, this is the thing. I can't even ask you that, because you would go back to literally Mesopotamia. Well, look, <laughs> uh, we've, we've got a number of points that I think we'll mention, and then we'll go back into um, exploring them, I think, in greater detail. Just Mesopotamia. That's one Mesopotamia, of your yeah. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. a reference from you, man. Mesop- sure. yeah. yeah. Okay, go. Sorry. So, I think we need to debunk some of the myths and some of the misinformation that's circling. Because okay. I don't think it's particularly interesting to, for us to sit here online and talk about how we want peace. Of course we do. We all want, most of the people on the planet want peace. They want to see a peaceful, ideally peaceful outcome yeah. you know, to this situation. But that's not an interesting conversation. No. It's very, it's pedestrian. You know, it, it's pretty simplistic and doesn't really tell us anything. And I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in having, you know, um, uh, emotionally driven discussions about this where yeah. people just dribble emotionally <laughs> and give you the same standard lines. And it, it, it's not interesting. I think the truth is, man, if it was just about peace, I mean, you'd have to iron out every situation on the planet. Yeah, right. and then you're selective. Yeah, because people have their own interests in yeah, terms of exactly. where, selective interests about where they want peace, and there's a lot of instability in, in many parts of the world. It's not just um, between Israel and West Bank and Gaza. There's, yeah. there's problems everywhere. So, look, I think we need to start off with a few points here that I'm going to bring up that we're going to talk about. Uh, first of all, I'm just going to highlight them, okay. and then we're going to go back. Okay. All right? Cool. Okay. So, there's never been such a region territory or up to this point a nation state called palestine yeah uh there's never never been such thing as a palestinian people as in a distinct ancestral indigenous group the way greeks italians like whatever chinese indians etc no uh the arab world is chiefly responsible for the issue of west bank and gaza today we'll explore that the governments of west bank and gaza have done nothing really to look after their people or to advance their people yeah and um, then we'll get into some of the terms, either the genocide, the ethnic cleansing, the apartheid, and a few other things that okay. I think are worth worth mentioning. Okay, cool. All right. So, in terms of this place called Palestine, <laughs> and I always say that in inverted commas. Yeah. I write it in inverted commas. I do the little signals in inverted commas because it, it, it amazes me how there is so much evidence out there, historical reference, to show us that there's never been such a place. And you get these silly hysterical maps that wokists use. And they show you this map that says 1947, this region called Palestine, and then 1948 is, is Israel. That That's not how it happened. I wish everyone could see me right now because I'm actually sitting here like, with my hand, my head resting on my yeah, arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm listening. Like, this no. Is- I'm getting a little so history listening here. We okay. go back, we, and we have to go back to, you know, over 2,000 years. And yeah. we talked before about uh, the Jewish people not being a mere religious group, which is to, to be uh, Judaic is to be religious, to be Jewish is the ethnic ancestry. This group of people originated from this land that is now Israel, West Bank, and Gaza over 2,000 years ago. Yeah. And we must highlight what that land was called originally, its first name. It was called Judea. Yeah. Yeah. And you had Canaanites there as well, you know, and 
there was a group of people that came in from the Aegean and under Roman, the Roman Empire, this is the times of the Roman Empire when the Romans were ruling, and they were looking for a name to call these people that came from the Aegean. And they thought, what are we going to call these people? So they went to the Greek lexicon and they pulled out the word Philistine. Yeah. Mm. And they called these people the Philistines. Actually, there's absolutely no link whatsoever to Arabs, none. They are from the Aegean. So that was the first time that that word had been used in that context, in that region. Yeah. It doesn't matter how the Greeks used it um, way back before then, because it's irrelevant to the usage of where we're talking about this issue today. Yeah. So, yes, they called these people the, the, the Philistines. First time that word was used, the P word. So... The second time that it was used was the Romans were trying to, I guess you could say, wipe out Jewish presence in the yeah. area or identity, let's say. And they renamed Judea Syria Palestina. Right. Right. Not Palestine, not Palestina, Syria Palestina. That was its official name. Okay. Well, you, what kind of year are we talking right now? Uh, Roman Empire period. I, Off the top of my head, I don't know. Okay, cool. I'll suss it out. You keep going. Okay, so then after that, you had that 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 land or that region had a, a number of spin-off names. Yeah, Palestina Prima, Palestina Secunda, but it was a Roman invention using the Greek the Greek language. Yeah, you go th- throughout time, we get to a point where Arab Islamists colonized Jerusalem, yeah. so they came from the Gulf, and this is where the Arab people come from. They come from the Gulf. They do not originate from this land. And this is another fallacy that um, floats around, that the Palestinians and their indigenous land or territory. Well, if you want them to go back to the, or if you want them to be in their indigenous, indigenous territory, you then you want them to go back to the Gulf. Yeah. Now, the first presence of Arabs in that region was when the Arab colonialist Islamists, and this colonialism is rarely talked about, came in uh, into Jerusalem, colonized that, and, and we know that was the core reason why the Pope in Rome launched the Crusades. But on they went forward and they colonized what are the regions of Syria and Lebanon today, where they inflicted their language, their religion. They went all the way to Africa, the Barbary states, Libya, Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, Egypt, and, and Mauritania, Sudan, Somalia. I mean, does anyone ever wonder why the Sudanese are try-hard Arabs? Why they're so Arabized and the Somalians aren't that much better? Why the top of North Africa is so but culturally the, Arabized? Most, most people don't know Sudanese speak Arabic. Well, that's the shame of it, isn't it? No, but it's, it's the well, truth. It's true, yeah, and the Sudanese have got such a rich, vibrant ancestry, yet they're so infatuated with Arabism, which is interesting. So, colonialism, mate. But it's a colonialism that um, people conveniently leave out when they talk about uh, colonialism. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so, yeah, so you had the, uh, the, the Arab Islamists that colonized Jerusalem. Uh, and they persecuted Christians and Jews and, and so forth there that weren't allowed to pray. Like they, everyone was allowed to pray there beforehand. So they've been in this land since that point. And we continue throughout the centuries of a, a number of different takeovers. It was never, ever called Palestine, as in the, literally the land or region was never called Palestine. The Ottomans, that was they had that land for many centuries. Yeah. But we also need to mention that the Jews, as we said, originally came from this land. They were exiled twice by Romans 
and by Arab Islamists. The mass majority were, were kicked out. Yeah. And then we know they went to Egypt and they went to Spain and they were dispersed globally. But a minority stayed in that land. And a lot of them ended up in, uh, in the regions of Syria, in Lebanon, in Iraq, Iran, um, Yemen, and uh, North Africa too. I feel like Yemen's always under- overlooked. It is overlooked. <laughs> in, the, in the conversation of anything, it's yeah, always and, overlooked. And it it's needs, never it, the top. It needs more attention. Yeah, it does. So, I'm not trying to take the piss. I honestly yeah, do feel like yeah. it's never mentioned. So, And then you had Jews and Arabs that were living on this piece of land that had no name. Under Ottoman um, um, control, it had no name. Nothing official about it. Was, it wasn't uh, Arab land. Yeah. It was at that point... Uh, sorry, pull this in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, at that point, it was Ottoman under the Ottoman Empire. And they didn't give it much thought, the Ottomans. It was just a piece of land in between the Mesopotamia border and the Mediterranean Sea. Jews and Arabs, as I said, lived on it. There, there were more Arabs there at that time, that's true. But that was an interesting period because they lived there in relative relative peace. Yeah. Then we had World War One. Right. Okay, so, so we're World- at the start of the century, basically, yeah. first, yeah, first yeah. 10 years. We're doing that, yes. But as, we, as we've highlighted, anywhere in between before the Ottoman Empire, anything that came before the Ottoman Empire, that land was never called Palestine. Okay. Syria, Palestina... Palestina Prima, Palestina Secunda, never Palestine. So then we get to, you know, World War One. we have the, the War of the Empires, and the Ottoman Empire fell. And we know that the British were all over that, and they enlisted the Arab tribes in helping them uh, defeat the Ottomans, and of course the British made all kinds of promises to them and, and stabbed them in the back. Nevertheless, the Arab world got, after World War One, you know, fought, and shortly after that, uh, 14 independent countries. I mean, which other group, ancestral group, can yeah. brag about having 14 independent countries? No one else. So when uh, the Ottoman Empire fell and the British got a hold of that territory, they thought, okay, what are we going to call our new mandate? And they looked back into history to see what name it was given. So we know it was Judea in the first place, the ancestral home yeah. of the Jews. Oh, they named it Syria Palestina. All right, well, we'll take the word. And they called it British Mandate Palestine. So this map that a lot of workers or, you know, pro-Palestinian activists use, where they claim that this place was called Palestine in 1947, it wasn't. It was called British Mandate Palestine. And there's a big difference. It was an artificial British Mandate creation. And that map kind of implies that it was somehow called Palestine uh, to a more organic rhythm and for a very long time. And that's, that's not the case. I think it was about 1920. The problem is, is a lot of the wokists see what they see on the internet. Yeah. They get a meme sent to them. They see, you know, something on Twitter. Correct. And that's where the depth ends. Yeah, that, the, the, there's no more research. You know, yeah. 400 by 400. That's where it ends. That's there's where no it ends. More, there's no, no more reading. That, that, that's it. But they couldn't tell you anything about it. In 1947, it. it was called Palestine. That's it. That's not true. Yeah. That, that's what I'm saying, mm. man. It's mm. only skin deep, like, for these people. And that's only skin deep. So when the British had it, that was the first time that region officially had currency. There was British Mandate Palestine currency. Yeah. And people that lived under the British Mandate had uh, British Mandate Palestine passports, BMP passports. So there was um, a Mandate identity, a British Mandate Palestine identity by default, which didn't last very long. Um, How long were we talking? 1920, I believe, to 1940, well, to 1947, 48. That's how long the mandate lasted. So there were Jews and Arabs living there. There was no such things as as Jews and Arabs and Palestinians. 
there were Jews and Arabs. Yeah. It was simple as that. Now, as you know that there was a lot of anti-Jewish rhetoric building up in Europe, so slowly, slowly you had Jewish migrants coming back to the land that they You're originated from. You're talking post-World from. War II? No, no, World War I. One. Post-World, okay. Well, post-World War I coming into World War II as well. Okay. Um, but there was anti-Jewish sentiment on the rise, you know, way before, even after World War I. So yeah. you were getting a, a migration that was coming through. And you remember that most of this land was deserted. Uh, for centuries and even there were jews that were coming back under the ottoman mandate and turning desolate wasteland into ecological and ecological wonders agricultural wonders so you had these two ethnic ancestries living under the british mandate now the british as always you know they make promises they they don't (laughs) want to keep they stab people in the back the balflower declaration you know there was this idea of creating a jewish state in the land of its of the Jewish people's ancestry. Now, I agree with, I'm a Zionist in the sense that I believe that the Jewish people have a right to a nation state, ideally in the land that they came from, in their land of origin. And I believe that for everyone. Yeah. For Kurds, Assyrians, whomever. I think ideally, if it can happen, it should happen. A nation state where an ethnic ancestry can be the majority, like most groups have in the world. So the British had this idea, I mean, they, they, they thought about putting them in Uganda, the Jews in Uganda. Yeah, Jewish really? state part of Uganda. That was on the list. They even thought of Tasmania. They thought of cutting off a piece of Germany. There were all these ideas up in the air. Uganda. You could imagine what would have happened. <laughs> <laughs> there would have Shit. been exactly so I had no idea about that. Yeah, okay. there, there was there was talk about that. Um, but the Arabs that were living on that land were not to be disadvantaged. That was that was the plan. And ideally that would have been that would have been great. So you had two partition plans that were put on the table. But before we get to those partition plans, you ought to realize that there began a great deal of civil unrest between the Jews and the Arabs in British Mandate Palestine. Yeah. You had the Grand Mufti of uh, British Mandate Palestine, who was in league with Hitler, who was Hitler's mouthpiece. And there's photo documentation and evidence of their allegiance because they both shared a common ideology yeah, kill jews kill jews uh, the ideology of islam and the ideology of nazism to persecute um jews so he became hitler's mouthpiece throughout middle east or the nazi mouthpiece throughout the middle east and north Af- um, north africa and he initiated a great deal of persecution against the jewish minority in that region from about 1915 onwards and that intensified and then you had a great deal of civil unrest uh, between, not only between the Jews and the Arabs, between the Arabs and the British, and the Jews and the British. There were little terror organisations on both sides attacking each other and attacking the British as well. So eventually, the British pulled out, and we're going to continue on what happened there in point three. But I want to bring back something else I mentioned before about Palestinian people, this idea of a Palestinian people. As we said, there is no difference between the people we call or they call Palestinians in West Bank and Gaza, yet to the people over the fence that are Arabs in Israel. It's funny, isn't it? The Arabs in Israel are called Arabs, and then over the fence they magically become Palestinian. There's yeah, no there's no difference. Yeah. And there's no difference between them and the wider Arab world. As we said, the Arabs originate from the Gulf. They spread through the Middle East. They spread to North Africa with Islamist colonialism, and they ended up in that region. 
So, there's never been such a thing as a distinct ancestral Palestinian people. They're Arabs. Now, we're going to get to that point as well when we talk about what the Arab world had done from 1948 onwards. And part of that is the Palestinian um, identity okay. that was carved out. So, as we go on, the civil unrest continued between the British the Jews and the Arabs, and the British just got fed up with the, the mess that they had largely created there, and they pulled out. Mind you, we had two partition plans on the table, the partition plan of Mr. Churchill in 1922 and the partition plan of the UN in 1947, okay. with the objective of the Arabs having a 15th state and the Jews having one. And the Jews were to get somewhat more land, but that made sense because it was not just for the Jews that live there currently, it was going to be for the Jews of the future as well, because it was going to be the one projected designated... Growth, yeah. Projected growth, you know, ab- absolutely. We're making this the epicenter of yes, Judaism, yes. because this is yeah, whatever. And the Jews were happy to share this land. They said yes to two partition plans, even before Israel existed. And the Arabs said no, because they didn't, they didn't want to share. Now, I wish they had said yes. The UN partition plan was quite fair, but no, they weren't interested. They wanted the land completely to themselves. Now, they couldn't see, and they didn't have the... Foresight? Well, they didn't even have the scope to realise that, you know, they have 14 other countries. And yes, I'm not saying that these Arabs didn't have some kind of claim to land, the the people that had been living there for centuries. I don't deny that. I'm up for the... uh, I was up for the idea, and I'm still up for the idea, of a a, a two-state solution. It would have been far easier back then for them to have been accommodated. Now it's a lot more difficult. Now they've got Wi-Fi contracts. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? it, would have, it would have been far easier for them to do it, do it back yeah, then, yeah. but they said no. They didn't, again, it goes back to the stubborn tribal kind of mentality of we don't want to compromise and we don't want to share. We want this all to ourselves. So 1948, British pull out and Israel, the Jews, start setting up their state. They've had enough too. You know, it's interesting um, – there was an interesting comment by Golda Meir. Oh, your favourite. One, fa- one of my favourites. Just after the Six-Day War, but before the Yom Kippur War, when um, Biden, Joe Biden was with her, and he was a senator, obviously, back then. And uh, she said to, he was very nervous because the, the, um, the Yom Kippur War was about to begin, but she was quite calm and collected. And she said, don't worry, Senator, we have a secret weapon in our war, our conflict against the Arabs. And he said to her, well, what is it? And she said, we have no place left to go. So it almost like they'd done full circle. They'd been kicked out of their yeah. ancestral home. They'd been dispersed globally, uh, being minorities all around the world with no nation state, no, no piece of soil, let's say, to call their own where they can be the majority. And finally, they were back in their homeland, setting up this state. Now, you had the five Arab countries of Syria... Jordan, Egypt, Saudi, and Iraq attack. So you went from civil unrest between the Arabs, the Jews, and the British to a full-blown scale war initiated by the five Arab nations. Now, why did they attack? They didn't attack to protect or to help their own people who were in a, in a very tricky spot, the Arabs and British mandate Palestine. No, they attacked to try to eradicate Jews from the region, and to land grab, to try to steal or to take as much land as they as they possibly possibly Just could. A clean and sweep, seeking a clean and sweep. Uh, yeah, and you know, and they said to the Arabic people, you know, well, you can leave your homes, 
will be done soon and you can come back pretty much <laughs> and it didn't didn't quite work out that way so what you had there was israel taking about 50 or 60 percent if i'm correct more land than what the un partition plan of 47 had outlined for but this is what happens in times of war people yeah you collect land get what you get you get what you get because of the war that the five arab states initiated you had a mass spillage of arab refugees from british mandate palestine you had refugees that were left for decades and they, i think they're still still they're languishing in refugee camps not absorbed by the arab world uh with the exception of lebanon now most of the arab world didn't bother to take in these refugees and it's their own people that's what really stings me that they, they couldn't be bothered lifting a finger to help their own people in need. Lebanon took in a great amount, but they also lived to regret that because that intake of Arabs from British Mandate Palestine tipped the very equal balance they had of Sunnis, Shiites, uh, Christian Maronites yeah. and Druze. And um, it gave the P- what would become the PLO their headquarters yeah. for exporting extremism and terrorism. It gave birth to Hezbollah because of the Shiite issue, the issues with the Sunnis had with the Shiites, and it was the catalyst for the Lebanese civil war. So the more mess that Lebanon is in today is, is because literally because of that refugee so if the numbers, If the numbers of the refugees had been equally sort of dispersed among the other 14 Arab nations... Yeah, they might have been, they yeah, might have been better Sunnis off. Sunnis may have gone to where you know, Sunni, Sunnis are predominant. Shiites would have probably found pockets where... Well, the Shiites are, are predominant in Iraq. Yeah. They're predominant in, in Bahrain. Even though the royal family there is, or the the, the leaders there um, are Sunni, which yeah. is interesting. Um, so yeah, Lebanon lived to regret it. Now another funny thing, you ask a lot of these people that we're talking about, these wokists or whatever, you ask them who took Gaza in 1948, and who took Jordan, oh, sorry West Bank in 1948. They say Israel, which is wrong. Yeah, they did not. Egypt took Gaza, and Jordan annexed the West Bank. Israel had no interest in those two territories whatsoever. And the other interesting thing is, and this is another fact that a lot of people don't know about, in 1948, Israel, the supposed enemy nation, took in over 45,000 Arab refugees from British Mandate Palestine yeah. and gave them equal rights and citizenship. That's why there's so many Arabs living there. It, within within the borders of Israel, so they repopulated their the own. Well, well yeah. they, they, they and you know, and isn't it astounding that uh, the so-called enemy nation took in all these refugees, yet the Arab world couldn't be bothered yeah. looking after its own people? And then another interesting fact that happened in 1948 was the expulsion of Jews from Iraq, Iran, Yemen, Syria, Libya, uh, Egypt. They were kicked out because yeah. of what happened with the setup of Israel in 1948. And, and no one seems to be interested in the plight of those <laughs> refugees. Yeah, they don't matter. So a lot of them went to, went to Israel. And that was a, it was a tough gig for Israel. I mean, you're a brand new country. You're taking in um, Jews from mi- the Middle East and uh, North Africa, which are culturally very, very different to the Jews that have come from Europe. And then you have the Arab population that you've taken in as well. So you could imagine that would have been quite an interesting uh, What do you reckon, do you reckon the main differences are of, like, say, the cu- culturally between the, the Jews of, say, Eastern Europe or whatever, mm. or Western Europe, but they would have been further persecuted. Yeah. They weren't persecuted in Eastern Europe. I don't... 
Well, not to the degree there would have been in the West. Well, there were the pogroms. Uh, the, yeah, I mean, the, there was persecution in Russia, for example. Yeah. Uh, with the, the Cossacks and such. But I think, I mean, the difference would be is that, you know, the Jews of Europe that came from Europe would be more more so culturally European. And then you would have, and there would have been an inevitable cultural clash to a degree. They wouldn't have understood each other. I mean, imagine the, the one thing that they would have shared was religion. Yeah, language would have been different. Yeah, unless to a degree, to a degree, unless uh, uh, any of the ones <clears throat> of the Middle East kept kept the Hebrew, and, and probably some of them did. But imagine the, the Jews of Yemen coming into contact with the Jews of Germany or the Jews that came from Austria. Yeah, it'd been very, the only thing that would like have been sharing it's would like have been religion. over Punt Road. Yeah, exactly. I don't even know my cousins up in Preston, man. <laughs> <laughs> they're different. They're different breed of Greeks. <laughs> so this is what happened. So from 1948 to 1966, just before the the Seven Day War, you had Egypt ruling Gaza with an iron fist and leaving it an absolute squalor, and you had Jordan annex the West Bank. Now, at that point, Gaza was the only real problem. I mean, why are you leaving your own people like this, Arab world? Absorb them. They should have absorbed them. And they should have absorbed the Arabs that were in refugee camps as well that had been left in limbo. The issue of West Bank wasn't a problem because the Arabs that were on the um, west of the Jordan River were now on the east of the Jordan, <laughs> in Transjordan, or formerly Transjordan, now, tra- now Jordan, and they were happy. I mean, they were the majority living there. They're in government. They're in parliament. They're all over it. They were happy people. There was no, and if you notice that there was no call for a 15th state called Palest, Arab state, called Palestine or anything else from 48 till 67. No interest whatsoever. 1967, <laughs> stupidly. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Stupidly, um, <laughs> the, uh, the Syria, Jordan and um, Egypt attacked Israel again. They thought that Israel was preparing some kind of you know, launch against them, but it was the Arab states that attacked first. And they had they had heavy amounts of artillery. They had been heavily funded by uh, Soviet Union. The yeah. Egypt was using many Soviet tanks. But because we know that this world is so internally divided and fractured and they don't like each other and they don't trust each other and so tribal, they couldn't organize a route in a brothel, yeah. you know, let alone a successful military operation yeah. against Israel. So what happened? They lost again. So they they lost Gaza. Jordan lost West Bank, which was terrible. They, uh, Syria lost the Golan Heights, and on top of it, Egypt lost Sinai. So Israel pretty quickly gave back the Golan Heights to Syria and gave back the Sinai uh, to Egypt. But a little prior to that, you had Yasser Arafat and, and co. You yeah. know, building up their organization, which was to become the PLO, and they were carving out this identity that they wanted to utilize, which went into full force when they lost Gaza and West Bank as PR for the world. Now we want um, a 15th state. Now that we've lost this, now we want another We want another piece of land that we can call our own. And then this whole thing about um, uh, wanting another state started coming up again, post-67. And that's when the Palestinian identity really became became a thing. It was really carved out at that point. And it was used as PR to try to differentiate the people that lived in West Bank and Gaza from Arabs to make them seem a little bit more unique, to make it seem more of an attractive 
you know, campaign for the world, which Arafat later on admitted, freely admitted, no, they're, they're Arabs. We're all Arabs. We're all one, one face. Yeah. But there was that attempt to, to differentiate them. Yeah. Pretty much. Just to make it more pal- uh, palpable, basically. Palpable, palatable to, for PR, I think, to, yeah. to make it seem different. And you had, you know, uh, Israel occupying Gaza and West Bank at one point. They no longer do occupy it. They keep a very, very close eye on them. There's a lot of security, and they protect themselves as anyone would protect their borders. And it's interesting that, you know, just about any other group can protect their borders, but Israel looks after their borders, and all of a sudden, it's a problem. So you have that explanation, and I've tried to sum it up as best as I can yeah. as to why there's never been such a region or territory or up to this point a nation state called Palestine, why there is no such thing as a distinct ancestral Palestinian people and why the Arab world is responsible. There's going to get touch a little bit more on the governments of West Bank and Gaza because I think that that's, that's an important thing uh, to mention yeah. as well. So over time you've had a succession of governments in these two territories that can't even get along with each other. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> let alone, <laughs> let alone Israel. So they've, um, you've had Fatah and Hamas in the in Gaza, and it's even been worded that you know Israel was uh, had funded Hamas in order to fight the PLO because the PLO was a big problem at the time. Okay, for the people at home, PLO is what exactly? The what Palestinian is? Liberation Organization, okay. which was started up by Yasser Arafat and Co., yeah. which set up their head office. Uh, in Lebanon, which is why Israel went in there in 1982 to clean them out because they were causing a lot of trouble in southern Lebanon and, and most of the Lebanese were sick to death of them, obviously, and they were attacking Israel from the south. So they went in there to clean clean them yeah. out. So, so you had the PLO, you had the Palestinian Authority. One other point I want to mention as well, sorry, we'll just go back to the UN named these two territories in 2013 the state of Palestine. So people try to use that and go, ah, there is a place called it's called okay, it's a it's a, a ultimately a silly title it's a panda it's a concession which doesn't equate to anything you, they've called them the state of palestine because as i said it's a sympathy card play that gives them nothing it does not make them a sovereign state do, do you know how many times i've had arguments on two things that you would know a lot about the former yugoslavian Yugoslavian mm. Republic of Macedonia, Macedonia. yeah, no, and Lord, yeah, the Northern one. Republic of Cyprus, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not sovereign. They're well, nothing. Well, the former Yugoslavia yeah. Republic well, is a sovereign state, with, but with the Northern the Cyprus itself, is yeah. not. But Cyprus, it was there for. It, it wasn't officially not recognized by anyone. It's not recognized by anyone except Turkey and Pakistan, yeah. I, I believe. Now, this 2013 UN declaration is superficial because yeah. they don't hey, have... Pull, pull this down. Like, just pull it down. Like that? Yeah, it's... Yep. Okay, yeah. They don't have equal rights in the UN like sovereign states do. Yeah. The declaration itself doesn't make them a sovereign state and they don't, do not even remotely meet the criteria of being a sovereign state. Yeah. So it's a useless title. They throw that at you. You know what, you know what to say, pretty much. So we go back to the succession of governments that the West Bank and Gaza have had. Fatah, Hamas in Gaza, the PLO and the PA, for example, in West Bank. Now, these territories have been given so much money in aid 
over the decades, both by uh, the Islamic world, in particular Iran has very well funded them, Turkey's funded them, uh, and the West, we in the West have funded them. Now, what have they done with all these hundreds and millions of dollars over time? Now, I know it's not an ideal situation to be in, but they've got an 80k stretch in Gaza. That's how long Gaza is. And they had the West Bank. Now, you'd think with all that money that they would actually try to innovate. They would try to build at least workable, livable societies for their people. They haven't done it. They haven't bothered to do it. They don't care about their people. And this is a mentality that you'll find in the Islamic world and in the Arabic world, particularly amongst, and I'm not talking about, and I want to make this clear, I'm not talking about every single Arabic or Islamic person might not feel this way, but the mentality of the overall collective and uh, certainly in governments and leaders, they don't value life. There's a great deal of investment in life after death. They think the next life is going to be oh so much more wonderful. So there's great investment in that. So they don't invest and care in the, in the, in the present life. I've said that about theists generally, mm. about there's an investment in the afterlife as opposed to valuing what we actually have now. What we, it's an argument. It's a conversation we had another day. Yeah. But it, I know but it, it's but in, I've said that with the Islamic world, it's like an overdrive. It's an overdrive because there's much greater value for life itself in Judaism and Christianity. Yeah. In, in, in valuing the present in Islam there is, is not, and that's filtered into the, into the Arabic world. So they live to die, pretty much. That's the mentality of this life after, investment in life after death. So if you, if you don't value your own life, how the hell can you value anyone else's? So you can see that in that there's no value for life in these territories amongst the, their governments. So what do they spend this money on? They spend it on importing terrorism and extremism. They invest it in weaponry. They invest it in building tunnels. None of it has really gone to creating long-standing, uh, workable, livable societies. They haven't bothered to innovate or anything like that, which is a great shame. Now, they could have done that by now, but they haven't done it. And on top of it, they use child soldiers. They use uh, citizens as human shields because if you don't value life, it's okay, and then you can dangle it up to the world and use it as, as PR. Now, they don't even do simple things like have, you know, like air shelters for their citizens. Uh, Israel does. I mean, they, they've invested. I mean, I know that the dome is quite an elaborate mechanism. It's yeah, wonderful. It's crazy. But even, even to the basics, they've got air shelters. They've got places where people can go to when Hamas or Anko are firing rockets. Uh, the territories of West Bank and Gaza don't do that. And there's a very good argument there as to why there are so many more casualties on one side as there are on the other, because one side invests in the life of their people, where the other side does not. And there was a very interesting protest on the border of um, uh, Gaza and Israel not too long ago, a few years ago. And Hamas had been prepping up their people to um, riling them up, to penetrate the border zone, to, to go in there and start trouble. And that's what happened. They penetrated the border zone. You had Arab, Arabs from Gaza heading towards Israel, bricks, stones, knives, Molotov cocktails, whatever they could get their hands on. Now, Israel was good enough to fire tear gas 
you know, lucky they didn't cop bullets. <clears throat> now, the tear gas was involved in the death of an eight-month-old, of an infant. Now, when that infant died, the whole, so many people going, oh my God, look at what Israel did, the barbarians, the killers, they, they killed this child. No one asked the, the more interesting question, in my opinion, which was, why was an eight-month-old baby at a border zone protest between Israel and Gaza? Why was that baby there? Furthermore, why was that baby in the arms of its uncle? The mother was nowhere to be seen. Shouldn't an eight-month-year-old be in the arms of its mother with its parents in its home, which was probably, you know, 30, 40, 50, 20 k's away from that border zone? No one asked that question, which was interesting. Now, in my opinion, that baby was taken there deliberately by its uncle to be killed, probably on the blessing of the parents, because then you'd have a martyred baby on your hand. And what an honor yeah. to have a martyred baby die Martyrdom for the cause. really makes no fucking sense. No, it doesn't. But th- this is the type of mentality that, that, that we're dealing with, you know, and that has to, be, um, has to be recognized. So these are some questions that I think we need to be asking ourselves. Why are there less casualties on one side than another? Um, we went through, and I'm hoping that I explained it adequately, because as is, it's a dense topic, as to why there's never been such a region or territory or up to this point a nation-state called Palestine and why there's no such thing as a Palestinian people. Now, the, the Trump administration had put a peace plan on the table a few years ago. Yeah. Now, I don't know how much uh, Donnie was in that peace plan. I don't Nothing. know. He basically said his, his son-in-law, Kushner, onto it. Okay, well then... He took, took a Jew and said, yeah, he yeah, took a Jew. Well, then the Jew did a pretty good job. I mean, I read it. I don't think the... Um, the Arab governments of West Bank and Gaza bothered to read it. <laughs> I, I thought it was a pretty, pretty fair solution. I never it, saw it. Okay, so I'll explain it. What you had there was the opportunity for these two territories to become one sovereign state. They can finally be a sovereign state. The Arab world will have a 15th country, and they can call themselves Palestine or whatever they want. Now, I don't recognize that word Palestine because there's, there's nothing valid in on the table in order for me to recognize that word. Yeah. But if they did agree to that plan, then at least they would have a national identity by virtue of sovereign state, in the same way Pakistan does, or in the same way that there's such a thing as an Emirati or a Saudi or a Kuwaiti, by virtue of nation state, yeah. by nationality. Then we'll agree to that. Now, this um, plan was to connect the two territories via underpasses and um, underground tunnels, under heavy security, of course, so that's the reality of it. But the beautiful thing about it would be that they would bring a new go- new one government to the table, democratically elected, of course. The Arabs that are in West Bank would finally see the ocean. They could connect with the, the Arabs in Gaza. They could get together with family again. They could innovate. They could cultivate. Yeah. There's no limit to what they could do. They put their heads together and they start building a workable, uh, livable society. They had that chance. This is not the first time that they've had a chance for a separate state. There's been a number of occasions post-1948 that they've rejected. And as we demonstrated, the Churchill Plan of 22 and the UN Partition Plan of 47 before Israel existed, they've had plenty of chances to have that 15th Arab state. And they've said no. So I don't... When when they say mm, no, mm, what does it come down to? Just size of land? 
it it'll it, generally generally like it'll things. it'll yes the part of it has been size of land and the fact that they just don't want to don't want to share i mean prior to 48 the partition plans had the, had more land to the jews but as I, I understood that as being, well, you know, it's, it's forecasting, you know, for a population that'll grow, for Jews for all over the world to come to, and for birth rates and, and the rest of it. And also considering the fact that the Arabs have vast territory already in 14 countries. Yeah. Already. So I think that in that as, case... So, as states. As, as, sovereign states. As, as sovereign states. We're not talking about a neighbourhood like downtown... You know, no, we're talking about 14... So, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. Immense territories. Immense territories. So that that was um, what was interesting to me, is to see every single peace plan or partition plan uh, be rejected. So I have to say that I, I obviously do have sympathy for the people, for the Arabs that live in West Bank and Gaza, I mean, what a shitty deal they've they've gotten. And to be rejected by your own world, I mean, that would hurt if you were aware of the rejection. And that's the funny thing. I think most of these people, if you look at the evidence, have been conditioned to think that the Jews put them in this place, and it's the Israel's fault that they are the way that they are, and that it's just astounding to me that they are not able to see, but I guess a succession of brainwashing of generations will do that. Look, man, it's all selective um, selective history, basically. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, there are, there are freaking, um, yeah, even in, in America now, Trump was pushing an agenda in the South that's still pushing the agenda of not teaching, you know, uh, teaching history, U.S. history to include things about slavery. Exactly. Germany, Germany, right after World War II, made it illegal to have anything to do with Nazis. Yeah. No mention of them. No mention of them whatsoever, yes. No displays of the, of the um, you know, the icons or the, not even a museum. They're like barely making it to museums. Definitely. You can't just pretend like it never happened. No. And the... and the, the Japan's like that too. Yeah. They never want to admit that their emperor surrendered. Hirohito. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, so no. surrendering is just not in the Japanese ethos. Oh, no. It's, it's, a, dis- it's a disgrace. Yeah. They take death. They take suicide yeah, over exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. So this is a thing is that the people in these territories of West Bank and Gaza can't see that it's the Arab world that created the, the refugee spillage from British Mandate Palestine. They didn't take their own people in. They didn't absorb their own people when they <clears throat> needed to be absorbed, with the exception of Lebanon. They left Gaza in squalor and, ab- squalor and abject poverty. And they stupidly lost two territories West Bank and Gaza, when they stupidly attacked Israel again in 67. And if you think about it, if they hadn't have done that, West Bank would still be with Jordan, and Egypt hopefully would have absorbed Gaza by this point. They would have thought of a more humane and sensible way of dealing with Gaza and the people that live in Gaza. Yeah. And we also highlighted the Arafat campaign in the 60s, which created this you know, Palestinian identity. Look throughout history. You'll never find a group of people called Palestinians Yeah. prior to the 60s when he carved that out. British Mandate Palestine doesn't count. A British invention that was given to Arabs and Jews that were living in that mandate from about 1920 to 47. And then prior to that, nothing. Nothing at all. Just Jews and Arabs. That was it. Now, another thing that I want to mention, and this is a criticism of Israel, is the ongoing land acquisition of the West Bank. I think that's got to stop. And I've always been very... Okay, take that from the top. 
Just for you got to you got to assume that I know nothing. Okay. And people listening don't know. Okay. Anything. So over over many decades, Israel has been encroaching onto the West Bank. <laughs> encroaching. What a word. It's a good word. It's and, a very and, good. And they've word. been taking more and more land and for, for Jews to live on. Um, now, eventually. I mean, what point is that land acquisition going to stop? Okay. When you say land acquisition, are we mm. picturing people with uh, witches' hats that just keep setting the border forward, or are we picturing uh, stormed uh, stormed invasions of, like, suburbs? Well, not so much stormed invasions, no, but it's kind of like, okay, well, th- they take a, you know, a plot of land that's how many kilometres, you know, long, let's say, yeah. and wide, and, and they they take it for themselves, and they build homes there for, for Jews. So we're talking undeveloped. Undeveloped land, basically. Undeveloped, or it could even be developed. It could be both. Okay, so if you have to say equate it to say Melbourne, are you talking about mm. literally people walking into say uh, Broad Meadows and just saying everyone out? This is now uh, Israeli owned. To a degree, okay. No, to I'm, a degree. I'm, I'm not yeah, yeah, yeah. the piss. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, to like, a degree, I mean, there, there have been cases of that. Yeah, and okay. that's uh, and you know, I even though you might think that from what I've said, and obviously, inevitably, people are going to think I'm pro-Israeli, and in many ways. In some ways I am, yes. In some ways I am. But I'm also objective. I'll call myself an objective nationalist, for example, of yeah. Australia, of Greece. Um, and when I say that, it simply means that I can be objective of these nation states, even though they're very close to my heart and I yeah. love them. I can do that for any nation state. I can commend them when I think they're right and criticize them when I think they're wrong. And I think, you know, I've commended Israel a great deal. But okay. this is off, one of the... Completely yeah, off topic. Yeah. The, we mentioned it before, the former Yugoslav, Yugoslavian Republic of Macedonia. Yeah. Greeks gave them the name Northern Republic, the North Macedonia. Yeah. Do you think that was right or wrong? In your opinion, we both know the history. I've explained the history before on this podcast. Yeah. Do you think that was a smart move or a dumb move? Well, look, I don't particularly like them using that word. I hate them for that. Uh, yeah. Of, but, uh, it's a Greek word, Makedono. It's not a Slavic Bulgarian yeah. <laughs> word. But the Greeks sold out. They did. They, they just did. sold out. They did. Like, yeah, all right. Here's a price tag. Sort it out. Yeah. Look, I mean, I'd rather it not be that way. Exactly. I'd rather them come up, with, and I and I don't particularly like the name of their airport either. That burns <laughs> me every day, man. Yeah. No. I, if it was up to me, I wouldn't have them using that the M word. Exactly. The N word. <laughs> the M word. We would never have. Um, no. We would never have allowed it. You know? No, but that's, that is a, largely a fault of Tito. Yeah. For example, for really twisting these people's sense of identity yeah. by giving them a false sense of identity. Same way Arafat did with the PLO. Exactly. The same way that Arafat gave these Arabs a, 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 a false identity yeah. for cause for the for the PR. But as I said to you before, the, the Arabs in Israel are just called Arabs and then you just hop over the fence and they're called Palestinians. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes no sense because the implication... <coughs> of that identity, is that it's far more than skin deep. Here's, here's a question. Yeah. I'm just thinking about it now, and it's interesting because I actually don't know how I would, or what the answer would be. Um, mm. we, I mean, we mentioned colonialism, right? And a, yeah. an identity we, born out of nothing, basically. Yeah. We're Australian. Correct. Our identity was forged based on the colonialism, colonial arm um, of the British Empire. Yeah. So then 
how do we sit in that spectrum in regards to say the indigenous australians well it's very different to and this is a different it's different well absolutely because the jews i mean if you're talking about the jews in that land that's where the jews came from yeah but that's what i'm yeah, saying yeah we don't come we from don't this even land. come from this land. no we don't come from this so it's different and as i always say when it comes to the jews you uh, you know they, they're acute this is the thing uh, i mentioned quickly is a lot of wokists because they, they don't like jews <laughs> and and the reason they don't like jews it's a very simple equation jews equals wealth so equals dollar signs equals capitalism more money than you <laughs> yeah exactly but they're, they're very good at money management they've been money lenders from way back you know the yeah. roman the romans gave them the coin to to manage because the romans were hopeless at it so they see jews equals wealth equals capitalism equals israel little israeli flag there equals a white-skinned colonialist state. That's all they've got in their heads. All this history that we've gone through, they know none of it, none of it whatsoever. Now, my argument there is you can't colonise your own land. You can't colonise the land that you came from originally. And literally, yes, you can colonise colonisers, but at the end of the day, why were Arabs in this land in the first place? Because Arab colonialist Islamists colonised Jerusalem. Yeah. And they've been in that territory ever since. They've been there for a very long time. I don't doubt it. I'm not saying they don't have any right to say we've been here for centuries. We deserve a piece of this land. I was more than okay with Churchill's partition plan and the UN's partition plan uh, and this idea of, you know, a 15th Arab state called Palestine. So I'm not – people say to me, so you don't want them to exist in that land at all. I've never said that. What I'm saying is that – all the points I've mentioned need to be remembered and need to be highlighted because of all the misinformation and ignorance out there. Yeah. And more than happy to share. Always, I never ever would have approved of the idea of disadvantaging the Arabs that were living on that land or throwing them out. Yeah. But I'm all for a Jewish state in the land of Jewish, Jewish ancestry. So, you know, with this whole thing about, say, you know, the Australia and the, the indigenous, yeah, it's a good point that you've made. Because I'm just, just thinking about it abstractly right now, because we both fall into that category. And yeah. we fall into an even trickier category, because we've experienced racism in the country that we were born in, that our parents came to mm. as free citizens. Yeah. You know what I mean? My mother yeah. came on the migration program in the 70s. She was yeah. paid by the Australian government to come here. Yeah, they needed her. Well, yeah. They needed them. They needed them. They needed them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So when I experienced racism in this country, it's like, fuck off, man. Like... I know where my roots are. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, the whole damn world's racist though, isn't it? Yeah. You you cop it. You cop it everywhere. Interesting. When I saw the free inverted commas Palestine march (laughs) in the city, I saw Aboriginal flags being waved about. Yeah. I didn't actually know that. That was just silly, bloody nonsense. I mean, and I know what that, some people saying, oh, but they're just showing solidarity and unity. It's, 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 it's a silly argument. What I think is going on there is that they're waving these flags around because they're saying, and a lot of Irish have got this stupid nonsense in their head too. I've heard it from the Irish too. Yeah, I've heard it from a few Irish guys. But also remember that the IRA and the PLO were very (laughs) buddy-buddy. And they kind of, they helped each other out. Yeah. There was a lot of, um, shall we say, funding between the two of them and support. The Irish and the, and I'm hoping not the Aboriginals, but, maybe a few of them at that march, seem to think that their plight with the English is the same as the plight of the Arabs in West Bank and Gaza. Hang on. Does it, isn't the Irish-English conflict come down to religion? 
The I well, I mean, no. The Irish English conflict was more about the occupation of Ireland yeah. by, by the British. So that was more land. It was just more. Oh, no. I'm thinking more about Irish and Northern Ireland. Sorry. Okay, Northern Ireland. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's not a religious cult, um, conflict. It just so happens that um, one side is predominantly Catholic and one side yeah. is predominantly. Um, Protestant, 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 but that's more to do with culture yeah. and land. It's more to do with the idea of whether we remain a part of the United Kingdom or whether we become our own separate republic. And yeah. that's the issue. That's the Northern Ireland I- issue when you we have that that separatism, whether you want to stay unified or whether you want to be separate. So there, there's no equivalence between the plight of the Aboriginals and the Irish. And the Arabs in West Bank and Gaza. Again, th- these two groups, and I'm hoping the Aboriginals don't have it in their head at this point, but who knows? These two groups think that, you know, the Arabs are indigenous to this territory and have been, you know, either tossed out or occupied by Jewish settlers. When and history that, shows that it's not it, the case. It's not the case whatsoever. Now, another thing that we need to make clear is I've been noticing a lot of nonsensical usage of the word apartheid. Yeah, you hear uh, the term, Israel yeah. is an apartheid state. All right, so let's talk about that. Now, that term was invented for South Africa. That's the first thing I think of. Correct. It hasn't, hadn't been used prior to that. Now, we know that South Africa at that point was um, a segregated nation and segregated up to the highest level of mandated state-based law where um, black-skinned Africans had unequal rights as opposed to the, the Dutch colonialists and the ancestors of the Dutch colonialists. They had unequal rights. They couldn't share the same uh, spaces, the same you know public arenas. Yeah, just segregated. There was, there, were, there was complete segregation. Now, how does that idea even get legs when it comes to Israel? First of all, within the nation-state of Israel, they have equal legal rights. They have more or less equal legal rights. They have the ability to vote. There are Arab high court judges. There are Arabs in Israeli parliament, in Israeli government. They have the rights of law, the same rights of law and protection. Um, admittedly, it is a little bit more difficult for Arabs to buy land in certain parts Yeah, but they're not of Israel. As a second class. Citizen. No, they're not. No, it is a little bit more difficult. But from a lot of my research, that I've found out that there's, there seems to be this big middleman buys up so much land, a Jewish middleman that buys up land in Israel and then rents it out or either sells on it, but more often rents it out to, to Jews as yeah. well. So a lot of Jews don't even own land there, interestingly enough. Now, Jews and Arabs can use the same public transport. They can go to the same cinemas. They can use the same beaches. They can go to the same restaurants and bars and clubs. There's no difference. Now, in South Africa... There were separate beaches yeah. for black South Africans. There were separate movie houses. There were separate restaurants. Can I ask? It doesn't, that doesn't exist in Israel. This, this term of apartheid, mm. where, where have you been seeing it spruik up in Australian media? Um, been- yes, in Australian. Well, I've seen Australian people use it yeah. in articles on social media, uh, opinion pieces. But even The Guardian, which we know is yeah. wokest rot, for most of the time, not even they're stupid enough yeah. to say that. You know Be- what, man? Because that argument can be easily blown out. And then people say to me, okay, but what about West Bank and what about the apartheid involving West Bank and Gaza? Ah, first of all, West Bank and Gaza are not within the nation state of Israel. 
West Bank and Gaza are autonomous regions that, yes, are heavily monitored by Israel because they have to monitor because those nations have been sworn to kill them. Yeah. Um, they have their own autonomous governments. Have we forgotten about Hamas and the PA? So it, it's a silly argument. You, you can't say that these territories are under an apartheid via Israel when they're not even within the borders of Israel and when they've got their own governments running those territories. But I don't know the difference. It's man. a silly it's a silly argument to make. I think yeah, you know, I started thinking about it. I mean why it always happens with Australians as well. Like Australians seem to buy into it really quickly. Yeah. Like all this sort of stuff. Right? And we love the story of the little battler. Like, you know, I mean we're, yeah. we're a nation of little battlers. Yeah, and it's fine. We always bat we always um we always back for the underdog. You know? We love the underdog. Yeah, we do. It's yeah. just being Aussie. You yeah. Know, we, we love it. Getting on top of like, you know, the yeah. almighty machine. But yeah. I started thinking about it, man, and I really think it plays into the fact that we're that isolated to the rest of the world. Mm. We are so far away, man. The average layperson in Australia has got no idea what Gaza is, no idea who the Israelis are, no idea what Jews are outside of, you know, going to Balaclava and Ripon Lee and seeing them walk yeah. around. I, mean, just, I was just said that they think that they're a mere religious group and there's yeah. nothing more to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's because we're so far isolated from all this shit. We'll never understand what it's like to oh. wake up to rockets flying no. into our bedrooms. No, we, we had no, no idea about that whatsoever. And, and I've tried to have conversations with many Australians, and I've said to them, okay, well, this piece of land that we're debating, what was it originally called? I don't know. It was called Judea. Uh, who renamed it, and what did they rename it? I don't know. They didn't know that it was the Romans, and they didn't know the Romans renamed it Sidia Palestina. And that that piece of land had the spin-off titles from City of Palestina all the way down to centuries under the Ottoman occupation or the Ottoman Empire, when it was just a piece of soil between the Mediterranean Sea and the Mesopotamia yeah. border. You, you tell them this, and they've got no clue. You, they've got no idea whatsoever. They also think that Jews come from Europe. Yeah. They don't come from Europe. Yeah. You know, they ended up in Europe. <laughs> You know, face, there's no, but there, there's a big difference. And I remember having this debate with relatives or um, people that are married to relatives uh, one Easter. They go, no, they go to me, no, they come from Europe. No, they don't. Okay, look at look at who we're, we're commiserating today. You know, Jesus Christ, or so we're <laughs> celebrating his his rising. What was he? Oh, he was a Jew. Did he come from Europe? No, he didn't. Did he? He was from the Middle East. Correct. And how long ago was he around? <laughs> you know, oh, you're well over to, yes, exactly right. So then what does that tell you about where the Jews came from and what region? Okay. So it's, it's a stuff like that. It's a, a, the Jesus thing is a simple, yeah. simple way to discuss it with them, particularly during Easter. Dude, most, most Greeks don't know what Easter is, man. Yeah. They don't. I got in the biggest argument with my auntie on, on, <laughs> on Easter. <laughs> it was, dude, like, this is the thing, okay? If you want to suspend, you know, reality and you want to suspend logical thought yeah. and have faith-based opinions, so be it. Mm. I don't give a shit. Like, that's fine. But do not debate things you have no idea about, okay? And do not come at me with faith representing fact. Do you know what I mean? Like, don't substitute faith for fact. No, no. You can't do that. No. And like I, I literally stood up at two a.m. and just said, "I'm going home." I was, I was wrecked. <laughs> the only time that you can use faith as fact is if you're directly referencing doctrines and dogma, and you're saying it's a fact that these 
ideologies are in this faith-based yeah. system. That's the only no, that's time. a fact. It that's a fact. That, yeah. yeah, that's a fact that the, this, this ideology claims this. Yeah. Otherwise, no. You can't. You can't. No. And it's just like, I can respect you, Fab. Like, I can respect that you have these faith-based opinions. Yeah. But you can't make them fact just no. because you say so. It doesn't work like that. And but, I just got into this whole thing, man. And, like, and the, also the idea of solutions, I think, is interesting to me. Because, okay, I didn't, I didn't invent the, the solution of the last peace plan, obviously. Yeah. But I read through it and I thought it was pretty damn good. <laughs> um, and I back that as a solution. You know, uh, that they should have, oh God, if they had only bothered to read it, they could have seen the sense behind it. They're not going to get a better deal. Now, what else? This is another thing. Let's think reality. How are you going to. You, you can't. Think of the logistics. You can't move these people around. Do you know what I mean? What are you, how are you going to move them? You can't move them around. You literally have to work with the land that you've got, which is why I want Israel to stop encroaching on the West Bank and taking more land because it, at, what are you going to do? I mean, what are they going to be left with? The idea is that we want these people to have a workable, livable society so they can get past, you know, all the um, their differences, hopefully, with the generations, but with the way that they're raised, who knows? But the idea is that we want them to build workable, livable societies. We want them to get, you know, leave the past in the past and move on because there's literally nowhere else that they can go. You can't just physically pick them up and place them somewhere else. It's yeah. impossible. So we need to think realistically here and practically, which is why I support the idea of connecting these two territories via underpasses and overpasses. Make them a sovereign state, 15th Arab nation, democratic one government, and let's get to work to building workable, livable societies. Now, I've been accused of being an Arab hater, which is not true. I've been accused of, of many things because of my stance on this topic. I can't see any, objectively, I can't see any Arab, anti-Arab sentiment in me. What I can see is, <laughs> is um, a great deal, yes, a great deal of criticism of the Arab world and its mentality. I don't think that's a problem. That doesn't make me anti-Arab people. The Arab world is problematic in the way that it's run, in the way the Arab tribes, which are now Arab governments, the way that they interact, not only with the rest of the world, but with each other. I think with 15, like 15, 14, 14 at this 14, point. 14 states. Yeah. And that amount of resources. Exactly. You know what I mean? That the rest of the world is trying to get their hands on. Clearly. Clearly. They've done that well keeping out invaders. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They've done that well when they're actually on a united front of any kind. You'd think they would have been able to coordinate something. You'd think that they would be able, and you know what, they, I think they've realized now they've got to start innovating elsewhere. Yeah. Because if the West stops taking their oil and sources it elsewhere, they're screwed. If it wasn't for their oil and gas reserves, I said they'd still be living in the Stone Age in tents and caves. I mean, it's the reality of it. That was what gave them the, the, the wealth and the resources to build you know, their societies. Yeah. And Israel doesn't get enough credit, I don't think, for what they give the world. I mean, look at how advanced they are with science, you know, medicine, technology. Look at what they give the world via that. I was going to say, based on where they're located, they're very liberal, you know, and very yeah. um, forward. Like, see, this, and this is the other thing, man. People see Israel as Jews, which equates to Orthodox Jews that they see 
in Balaclava and Rip and Lee. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the hysterical paranoid Hasidics. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's the same way with like Muslims, right? How they see one Muslim who may be just, you know, they could be living in Turkey. In Like if you go to um, uh, Izmir in, in mm. Turkey, it's like you're in Athens. Yeah. Like you're in Athens, man. I was there for, I don't know, about four or five days or something, four days, I can't remember. And it looks exactly like Athens. It's cobblestone streets next to a port. You know what I mean? Beachside. There are restaurants everywhere. There's alcohol being poured. Like, you don't feel like you're in some Muslim state. You know what I mean? No. And they've Turkey has been liberal for a long time up until Erdogan came into power. And he's dragging them back. taking them back. He's taking them back. And he's an Islamist. Yeah. So there's going to be, you know, there's going to be problems there. But it's all, as we said, it's the medicine, it's the sciences, the technology that Israel gives the world. Yeah. Also the intellectualism that comes out of it, the art. I mean, what does the Arab world give us? What does the Arab world give the world? I mean, nothing. And you can't really say that uh, it's for lack of resources and wealth. I mean, look at the exorbitant wealth in the Gulf. What do they give to the world? And what do they give us in terms of innovations in, in medicine and science?